Last week, first off, I want to say great response to the call of God for us to press into a life of giving, whether it be financial, time, relationship. It's a great start, and we got to keep pressing in. Um, it was a good Sunday last week, just all the way around the board, and we were talking about it all week as a staff, just the response of, of, of our people to what God is saying to us. And let me tell you, you don't always get great reports like that. So when you do, you, you cherish them because it shows God is still in the midst and still doing a work. And when we partner with him, amazing things happen. And that's what we're going to continue with today is as we, <clears throat> as we look at the different pictures of God that all make up really the same picture, but from different per, uh, perspectives of people throughout Scripture, what we will see is from front to back, in this, it is all about partnering with Jesus. It is all about relationship with God. Okay? Many of us have grown up reading Scripture. Those of us have been in the church. We read it really academically in a lot of ways. That's why a lot of people, um, myself included at one point, was like, I don't understand anything this thing is saying. Has anyone been there? Like, I, I try to read Scripture, and I get lost because I, I don't know what shekels are. I don't know what a blood sacrifice is. I don't know what this stuff is creepy. Has anyone been there? And so you read it with this, like you try to be Indiana Jones and read scripture and, and it's hard to read it just that there's some people that can do it really well. I mean, they love it. But scripture is meant to be read relationally. At its core, it's meant to be engaged relationally because Life in Christ is all about partnership with Him, okay? It's, it's what it's about. And so the, the picture that we talked about last week was, what, how, when, they, when the disciples looked at Jesus, what did they see? What did they see when they looked at Jesus, when they experienced the things they experienced with Him? What picture was painted? And what they saw, because they're the ones that are, are, are writing the Gospels, what they report is that they were with the Messiah, the God that wants to partner and do this life with them, with you, with me. Remember, we talked about how Jesus wants to reveal his glory, God's glory to us. And the disciples had opportunity after opportunity, and Jesus gave them challenge, invitation and challenge. He sent them off two by two. We talked about this last week. When they come back, they've got the feeding of the 5,000 which was more like 20,000. And, and what happened? Disciples are, tell Jesus what to do. Jesus is like, no, 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 you feed these people because he's giving them an opportunity to grow in the things they just experienced. Because the only way they're going to be able to feed that many people is through partnering with Jesus. And Jesus knows that. That's why he gives them the assignment. And they missed it. He walks on water. He's about to pass them by. Why? Because I believe because he wanted to reveal his glory as God did to Moses. We see that same language in Exodus 33. So we have this picture that Jesus wants to reveal his glory to us through the partnership of relationship with us. That was last week. This week, we're going to talk about how did his earthly family view him? How did Jesus' earthly family, what, when they looked at Jesus... What did they see? Now, we got Mary and Joseph, right? We've got the, 
um, the birth of Jesus. And so they get a little preview, you know, of what's, what the destiny of this child is going to be like. But they have no idea what it looks like laid out. They just know this, this guy is significant to God. The Son of God, okay, well, what does that mean, right? I mean, that's kind of a whirlwind. <laughs> Think about it. You're a 14-year-old girl, and then an angel says, hey, you're going to be pregnant and uh, without being married and, you know, a virgin conception. I mean, that's crazy, right? Someone says that to you, like, what? Okay. I have a, well, I have a hard time picturing it because I'm not a, a woman. But, I, I, you know, if an angel said to me, Brendan, you're going to be pregnant, I'd be freaked out, right? <laughs> For multiple reasons. But that would, be, that would be some daunting news. And then, right when that happens, it's a whirlwind. Right? So we've got that picture. And they don't really know what Jesus is going to be like quite yet. And then we see him in Luke 2 at the temple. And he's, they go into Jerusalem, and he's at the temple, and he's teaching. They don't know where Jesus went, but they find him in the temple, and they're panicked. They're like, oh, my gosh. And he's doing his father's work. He's in his father's house. Well, today we're going to look at... Now, um, does anyone remember what I said last week about Bibles? Bring them. There we go. Very simple. And it's not even bring them. It's bring them. Right? Like one word. Bring them. Okay? Bring them every week. And we're going to spend uh, most of our time in Mark chapter 3. So if you, if you, if you join me here. And what we're going to see uh, in chapter 3 here is that Jesus has just called his 12. Mark gives a general understanding that, hey, he called his 12. He doesn't, doesn't lay out every experience with each one, but he just says, okay, he's called the 12. And what we're going to see here is that um, Jesus goes to uh, his teaching, and he goes back to his temporary home in Capernaum. And his family finds out that he's there. And he finds out, they find out that not only is he there, but there are crowds of people always around him, and he's teaching, and they miss meals. Now, moms in here, if your kid misses a meal, does that irritate you? We have moms in here, right? Okay. It's okay to talk. Yeah? Raise your hand if that would irritate you. Okay? Especially when they don't even think about it. It's like, come on, you got to eat, right? Well, we, we have this scene where Mary and the brothers, they're going to they're gonna take Jesus away. they got to take him away because he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. When Jesus entered a house in Capernaum, it's in Capernaum, and gained, again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's... Out of his mind. He's loco. He's crazy. He's so wrapped up in this stuff that he forgot to eat. And mom's like, my boy's got to eat. They're afraid he's going to run himself ragged. What are you doing? I mean, wouldn't she have all these questions? I mean, remember, this pattern started early. I mean, he's in the temple at 12 years old. He's leaving his family unit, and he's going to the temple, and he's... He's preaching with the big boys and making them look stupid, okay? And here he's just, he continues to pour out, and his family's concerned. Do you see someone missing from this? Who might be missing from his family? 
What? Joseph. Joseph is not mentioned here. And the reason for that is, many scholars believe, is that after, we don't hear anything about Joseph after the temple incident in Luke 2, uh, when Jesus is 12. And so the thought is that Joseph died. And part of the reason why they are so concerned for Jesus is that he's the eldest son. And in that culture, when the father dies, the eldest son takes on the responsibilities that the father once held. So this is also not just about his health, but also the family's health and saying, get back here, you're the lead dog. Now they went to Capernaum from Nazareth. That's a 30-mile hike. Remember, there's no cars. They're not riding stallions, right? A lot of it was, most travel was by foot. Sometimes you had a donkey, okay? So they traveled 30 miles, 30 miles to get Jesus out of this situation. So a little context for you there. So here's what we're going to look at. He's crazy, right? He's out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's doing. Then we see in verse 31, then Jesus... Jesus' mother and brothers arrived where he was staying in Capernaum. And standing outside, they sent someone to call him. They sent someone to call him. Now, there's a crowd of people around him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, here's, here's something interesting. Verse 33, Who are my, brother, my mother and my brothers, he asked. Stop. <laughs> Now, as a parent, how would that make you feel? Hearing your kids say, not very good, would it? Now, I have, I have trouble when my daughter says no to me, okay? Which she's doing a lot lately. I hope she grows out of that. <laughs> no, no. But if I were to ever hear her say almost something like, who's this guy? That would break my heart. Wouldn't that break your heart? Because remember, when we, we look at Scripture, it's not just the immediate subjects that are affected in the story. There are bystanders. There are other things happening. So we have to be aware that, yes, Jesus is about to do a very profound teaching, which, which we're going to discuss right now in this moment. But we must understand that there is collateral damage, in a sense, of people that are not fully understanding what Jesus does. The lack of understanding of what he's doing causes some pain to those people who don't really know. Now, his brothers aren't Christians at this time. They don't believe in him yet. They just see a crazy man. So he says this question, and it had to rock the crowd. Because family is everything, right? Even in the table project, you saw that back then, community was, it was a part of life. It wasn't something they had to strive for. It was just a daily reality. If there's no community, there's no thriving in this life. For us now, we have to fight to preach community. It's a different story back then, all right? So community is expected. So for Jesus to say this has also got to rock the crowd. Whoa, what? It sounds like you're disowning your family. Now, that's not what he's doing. He doesn't fully disown his earthly family because we see, we see Mary at the cross, right? We see he loves his earthly family. But he says this. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does, does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, this is where it gets really good, if not already. In, in Matthew, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, 
um, it says that Jesus, when he says, here are my mother and my brother, he intentionally looks at everyone and he's pointing at them. Here they are. This is my mother. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. Here they are. So imagine as I'm looking at you now, this is Jesus telling these people. Now that would be weird to hear, wouldn't it? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not your dad. I'm 12. How could I be your dad? How could I be your mom? How could I be, you know? There's a lot of probably questions that are going on. But what Jesus is trying to emphasize is this. All of those who do God's will is my brother and my spiritual family. So the gist of this is that he is emphasizing the importance of spiritual family because in him... Through him, there is a relationship like none other that is far deeper than any earthly relationship you can have. Now, for some of us, that rubs us the wrong way. I love my family. I do. I do. But they were a gift from whom? Yeah. Our Heavenly Father. There's something stronger and deeper and more intimate in those relationships. Now, that's what Jesus is trying to state here. But what we have to first identify is what is God's will. We use that a lot, right? If it's God's will, I hope this is, I want to follow God's will. Well, what is that? We use that phrase a lot. What is God's will for your life? What is this? Let me tell you this. It is the same for everyone. Some of you might take issue with that, but let me explain before you, you do. God's will is the same for everyone in, in this. Now, when we look at Luke's version of this, it says, um, whoever do, uh, hears God's word and puts it into practice is my mother and my brother and my sister. But what does that even mean? What is God's word and what does practicing God's word mean? Now, what did we say at the beginning? This from front to back is about what? Relationship. We also call this the what of God? The Word of God. God breathed. His heart breathed into us. So, if we hear from Jesus, those who hear my Word and put it into practice are my mother, my brother, and my sisters. Those who do God's will are my mother and brother and sister. What is God's will? What is the word of God in its, in its uh, heart? It is simply this, is that he desperately wants to be with you, and he desperately wants you to be with him. That's God's will for every single person. And everything else, the obedience out of that is the byproduct of God's essential will for every single person in this room. And in history. God's will for your life is to know him intimately and deeply and rely on him and lean on him and love on him with everything that he has given you. That's why we've laid out the last few weeks what is giving. It's beyond just finances, right? Because it's about giving everything to him because he is worthy of of everything. And that's what he wants from us because he gives everything to us. But it's easy to look at a, a, a passage like this and read it so academically you forget about the heart of relationship in the midst of it. There's law and there's gospel and, you know, this is always a, a, a topic that's taught in, 
in Christian circles and obeying the law, but also being free in the Spirit to go where He leads. You know, all of that stuff, put that away for a moment and understand that at its infancy, at the very core of God's will, is for you to know Him as well as He knows you. That's God's will for our lives. Now, then you have callings, then you have assignments He gives us, but it comes out of a love relationship with God. If you don't have that, then what do you have? Right? What proves my point is Mark 10, because you have the rich young ruler who does, who's done everything right. He's obeyed every law. And what Jesus offered him was a completion of that obedience, which was following him and having a relationship with him. And he said no. So we had, a, we had an example of someone that wanted, that, that, that wanted to live obediently, but when it came to what it was really about, he said no. He said no, which, which tells us it can't be just about the academic understanding of God and the obedience to things. Now, don't get me wrong. Obeying God is very important. It's a non-negotiable but it comes out of a love relationship with him. You can't have one without the other. If that part's not there, we're not complete. And what and how we're engaging the will of God. If that were the case, then the, the rich young ruler story would be totally different. Wouldn't it not? I mean, it even goes so far to say, which only happens twice in Scripture, where it says Jesus loved him. He's trying to make his point. It's about relationship. And so what his family is getting is a harsh reality that belief in him and who he is and who he represents is essential to that, that eternal relationship of love and grace. And if you don't have that, you're no family of mine because you don't know me. He's not trying to shame them. He's not trying to say, they're horrible people, I want nothing to do with them. But it was the reality of what was happening. Here were people that were seeking after his face, that wanted to know him, and here were the people that should know him the best, who were trying to take him out from doing what God called him to do. And that's reveal his glory to the world. Please hold me accountable to taking breaths in between those moments, right? You know, I, I've been convicted as of late to catch up with what's happening in the American church. I try to stay out of it. I try to stay out of the debates of things that seem to just be us chasing our tails and doesn't seem to speak life, that seems to turn brother against brother and all of this stuff. And so I thought, well, you know, I... I'll, I'll try and engage and see what's out there. So if anyone from the congregation has questions, at least I'll be able to speak intelligently about some of the things. And so I'm watching podcasts appeal from all over the spectrum that I've heard controversies about that have huge platforms that actually influence in heavy ways. And I'm not going to mention who they are because it's not about who they are. It's not about what their name is, okay? But it's about what the spirit of what happens. And I... I'm watching these podcasts, and I'm looking at body language. I'm looking at all these things and trying to discern. And I was so discouraged and disheartened when I was done. 
It was kind of like watching the news. It's just depressing. And I'm watching these big-name pastors that I knew of, and, and one who I love dearly, and the things that they have said did not in any way reflect the relationship we are called to have with God. It was an academic approach. And, and look, look, let me change that word because academics is great. And, and how you approach the word that way, it's, it's very helpful. So that's not what I mean. But when people rely on just what they know instead of who they know, that's a problem. Does that make more sense? Because academics is not a bad word. And so I'm watching these guys, and they, here's a pastor over here who is deconstructing and diminishing the character of a pastor over here. And it's going on all over the place. How is this the love of God? And they justify it by quoting Romans 10 and saying, well, we're called to preach, and we're called to preach with truth and authority and this and that, and they're condemning the people to hell and all this, and they're saying this stuff, and they justify it by Romans 10. But if you read the beginning of Romans 10, it says, do not be concerned about who goes where. Preach the love of God. But for some reason, we feel like we have to make battles, so we have a battle to fight. But believe me, we have a big one ahead of us, and that's to model relationship with Jesus. And when I'm looking at these other pastors, I can't judge where their relationship was at, but what is being modeled in front of me was not encouraging. Because it sounded like they were missing exactly what his family missed. That was him. Believe me, his family, in the end of all things, had a different perspective of who Jesus was. You got the book of James in your Bible, right? Believed to be the, the half-brother of Jesus. Believes in him now. Worships him now. You better believe Mother Mary at the cross believed then. She didn't before because she saw glory. She saw glory. So, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and me as we move forward in community, in discipleship, in prayer, in mission? What does this mean? We cannot get lost in the tasks of life and forsaking our relationship with Jesus. We cannot try to make it about something it's not about. The tasks that we do in Christ Jesus are important because it comes out of his love for us and we are to communicate that. The works of God in our lives communicate the love of God. They cannot just communicate the task of God. They have to communicate the love of God. And what Jesus was doing with these people was was being with them. And, you know, the American church is not all dead. I've been hearing that, and I'm tired of hearing it. That the church is dead and dying. I hate that. Because one of the things that I think is really, really, really huge, and we say it here all the time, is that it's not about living for God, living under God. It's about living with God. And so I turn on Christian radio, and sometimes it, it just irritates me because you hear more of this stuff. And what I was hearing was people singing and saying, you know, they do a little clip of songs that are coming and, and they have someone speak over it, you know, kind of thing. When all is said and done, it's about being with Jesus. That's what I heard this morning on the radio. It's about being with him. 
God can move here and he can move everywhere else. For us to say the church is dead or the church is dying is stupid. Because it's saying that he wants to sever a relationship with us. That's what I hear. There's no hope. Are you kidding? We worship the God of hope. We're living the God of hope. That's the call, It's to have a relationship with the God of hope so there's always hope, so that people always see what his family saw was hope in action. Because it was more than just the physical relationship of being family. It was deeper than that. That's why we can say Bridgewood Community Church is a family and not just an American church institution. Because we're about relationship, because that's what God is about every day for eternity. Always. If you're confused about what we're about here at Bridgewood Community Church, let me unconfuse you right now. We are about deep, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Done. And the values laid out are a way that we express that. The values that we have laid out are the avenues in which we express the love of God in a biblical manner that brings people to his heart and brings us together so that what, what happened there is happening here. Here is my mother, my brother, and my sisters. Right here. You know why? Because they're seeking me and they want to know me the way I know them. That is, that is a huge, beautiful picture of Jesus. And they had that right there. Right there. Now, I don't know what conversations with mom and brothers were like after that, but their lives did change. Because Jesus modeled. He modeled relationship. That's our call. That's our call, is to model that relationship. That's why when we relate, that relationship's built on faith. So what we saw last Sunday with the finances, with the volunteers, with the, 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 the hope of people that I've talked to, they're looking at life differently now. It's because of this. It's because of that faith in Jesus and that relationship. And we live out of that. We have good days and good weeks and we can celebrate all week long. Because Sundays should be us celebrating what God did through the week. Because we're living faithfully. We're living out that relationship with Jesus that he modeled right in front of his family that should have the most intimate relationship but realized and had a reality check that they did not. So God is calling us deeper with him. He's calling us to go all out and all in. Everything we got. Everything we got, one day at a time. And there's a reason why he says one day. Because to think about being faithful for eternity is exhausting. (laughs) That's why he says, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Today, you just focus on being with me. So here's my word to you. Today, no matter what's on your plate, no matter what you brought in today, no matter where you're at, just be with him today and see what that does. See what that does. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Holy is your name. We're just going to take a minute to minister to your heart right now. Holy is your name, God. Holy is your name. Your people cry out, holy is your name. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy. You're worthy. 
Lord, show us how to be with you today as you are with us. Show us how to connect with you in a way that when we say we are with you, we are actually with you. For those of us that, that aren't sure how to do that, thank you, God, for the body of Christ to help us encourage one another and show one another how to do that. So I pray against fear in Jesus' name that would keep us from engaging in relationship. I pray against the fear left by wounds of, of the Christian life done poorly or uh, f- deep family wounds. When we hear that word family, some of us are going, eh. Lord, all those things that would create this fear and this anger, Lord, would you redeem that with your love and your grace that is the reality of who you are? Jesus, you're such a good, good, good God. And we want to praise you for all that you did this past week, but we look forward to what you're doing now and what you're going to do because you always outdo yourself. And so we praise you. So, Lord, I just pray that today you would help us be with you. Today you would help us be faithful until tomorrow comes. Today, 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 we want to be with you. We want to experience you. We want to rest in you. And we want to worship you and model that in our lives in a way that brings people to their knees so they can see what we see. Or you want all people to know who you are and to be in relationship with you. So we thank you for the the call out of our relationship and our love for you, the call to bring others into relationship. So I pray as as we approach the rest of worship this morning, as we approach communion, and as we approach offering now, that we would continue to live a life of giving in all of those areas, that we would give ourselves to you fully in worship, in offering, in communion, in how we live with others today. We ask that you would bless the offering this morning in a way that would reach the far corners of the earth that we can't even see or know about, that you would reach this community in ways that would just leave us dumbfounded. So may we continue to live in faith this day. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.